This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Not everyone is as comfortable right now worshiping Jesus and learning His Word as we are. In fact, we are in the vast minority of people in that situation. And so he says, remember them, since you yourselves are also in the body. Well, the second way we continue in the better way, and we'll close on this point, but it's going to be a little bit involved, is to, number one, continue in empathy by loving each other, entertaining strangers, and remembering those who are persecuted. In our modern society, we sometimes forget how easy our lives are. In some impoverished countries, their people don't have access to the internet or the radio. And in some countries, it's illegal to talk about Christianity, let alone own a Bible. But God wants us to help them. God wants us to help the world know of Him. Today, Pastor Josh reminds us to keep a heart of empathy. By serving God's people, we serve Him as Jesus did. By remembering those who ran the race, we honor them too. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 as he continues his message, Continue in a Better Way. We are part of the family of Christ. But notice second verse two, he says, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. The root word for this word entertain doesn't mean like you put on a show for them, okay? It's not like Western entertainment. It's the word that comes out of the word that we would translate uh, hospitality or to open your heart to to take in, to provide the needs for, to show generosity towards strangers. Now, of course, this is a biblical principle because every Christian is called to a life of generosity and openness. True or false, God has opened his heart and his family to you. God has made his home available to you. It's true. And we are called now to demonstrate Christ by doing that for others. Now, I get that in our Western culture, you know, we like to protect our space. We like to protect our environments. But here's the reality. I think we would all do better to be challenged to open our hearts, our lives, our homes, and our resources to each other a little more than we do. You're not the only one. Don't, trust me, everyone's seen piles of laundry. Everyone's seen dishes in the dishwasher or on the sink or all over the floor. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's, every, listen, God might give you opportunity that you don't want to miss out on because you wanted to protect your space or you didn't want someone to think ill of your housekeeping ability or your perfect ability to host. You know what? You know what's going to speak a lot louder to people is how well you love them, how well you open your, your resources to their life how well you pray with them in their time of need. But I I get away from here the point, you know, Hollywood has not produced many theologically sound movies, right? Okay, but one thing Hollywood does a lot of is they like to make these movies and shows about the personification of angels. Everyone wants to be touched by an angel. Everyone wants to experience their guardian angel and have this experience with an angel. Well, there's actually a little bit of theological truth to that statement. Because Paul says here, not only should you entertain strangers, but you should do so because you might never know 
when that stranger is actually an angelic being sent from God and you're the test subject. God is through an angel testing your hospitality, your response, your openness, your generosity. And this is what he said here. Apparently, when you're hosting an angel, you don't know it. I mean, think about Lot. Wasn't he grateful afterwards that he saw a couple strangers there in the city town? He's like, man, you guys can't sleep here. It's going to be a bad night for you if you sleep here. Come into my home. Come eat my food. Come. And these were angels sent to protect them, to deliver them. And they certainly did. But angels apparently travel incognito here on this earth. I don't understand it. I couldn't say whether or not I've ever been, I've ever hosted an angel before. But who could the angel be? Well, it could be anyone. That person who bumped you, bumped into you with their card at the grocery store and you just got irritated. That waitress who messed up your order and you're just frustrated with her. The person who cut you off on the, on the road the homeless person on the side of the street that you haven't seen before, the, per- the person who visits church that maybe seems a little different. Any of these people at any time. So what's the motivation here? Always be thoughtful about how you're treating everybody. Whoever it is. Be a conduit of God's love to those people. Again, I don't know if I've ever had this experience or not. But I did have one interesting experience that taught me a lesson about this kind of attitude and heart. I was coming home from India, and if you've ever traveled that far, you know it's like brutal. It's like 48 hours of traveling that just destroys your body. And so I'm about, we're leaving, I don't know, somewhere in Germany probably, and we're going to take that two more flights. And so I, at the beginning of the flight, I I asked the people, you know, you never know until you ask. Can I get, an, is there any upgrades available, you know, for my seating? No? Okay, all right. So I, I go in the plane, find my seat, sit down, and the plane is just packed. And you know how it is. When you sit down in a row that has no other people in it, you watch everyone who's coming by. All right, you kind of give them the look. And like, you kind of put your bag, your hand, you know, over here. You're hoping you get that little extra space. And so I'm, I'm, I'm literally... I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm praying like, Lord, I could use the space. It's been a long travel. And the last person comes on, they close the plane door and my row is empty. It's like the only empty row in, this, in, the, in the plane. And I'm like, yes. And then I see the stewardess run forward and the, the door opens. And an older woman comes and she has a walker and she comes in the plane and she's like, giving the stewardess a hard time, and she's grumbling and kind of complaining all the way up the aisle, and she's saying about how much pain she's in and how frustrated she is with the service and, you know, all of these sorts of things. And, and of course, she stops right there at my seat, and the stewardess kind of gives me a look and says, you know, this is, this is her seat, so I get up and like, okay, you know, she gets in there, and I sit down, and she's, she's mumbling some some frustration, some complaint. And, uh, and I'm sitting like right next to her. And at that moment, if you know what I'm talking about, I'm complaining and the Holy Spirit's convicting. And I get this instant conviction 
Josh, what if I, what if I sent her to you? Are you, only, are you only capable of thinking about yourself? And so I immediately internally repented, and I put a smile on my face, and I looked over her and said, hey, it looks like you've maybe had a tough time getting here, but I want you to know that whatever you need on this flight, if you need water, if you need a stewardess, if you need help, you know, stretching out your legs, you just tell me, and I'm just going to make sure you get taken care of. And she just looked at me. She was quiet for a minute. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a janitor at a, no. <laughs> uh, I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, oh, I'm a Jew. We're going to have an interesting conversation this way. <laughs> and we did. Boy, I, we got into it. We talked about Psalm 22. We talked about Isaiah 53. We started talking about the prophecies of Jesus. And it was fun. She was bantering kind of back and forth. And, and I said, uh, I said, so what, where are you going? What's going on? And she got a very somber look on her face. And she said, uh, I don't travel. Maybe that's obvious to you. Uh, but my, my son is terminal cancer. He, he's going to be dying any day now. And I haven't seen him for years. And I had to go. And it's just been, it's been so hard to even get here that I've just been so frustrated. And, 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 and I'm thinking back to my initial reaction, like, oh, this woman's nothing but trouble. You know, she's and so eventually she says, you know, I, I'm really, I really hate to ask this. You've been so wonderful, but my legs just hurt. I really need to stretch. Would you mind moving? <laughs> and so I said, sure, you know, I'll go find another seat. So I, I called the stewardess. I said, is there another seat? I just want to give this lady this row. And uh, so the stewardess finds me another seat in the very back of the plane next to, you know, some others. She sits me down. She gets on her knees and she looks at me and she says, how do you put up with that woman? I mean, she's been nothing but trouble, and I, I could understand why you'd want to leave. And I said, you know, no, actually, she's really hurting. Her son's dying. And she just needed some extra space, and I got a chance to pray with her. And she just needed someone to, to just love on her. And the stewardess starts crying. She starts crying right there on the plane, and she says, I am so convicted. I'm a Christian, and I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> And I can't believe, she said, let me, let me tell you what, I'll, I'll find a way to upgrade your, upgrade your next flight. I said, this ministry thing is not too bad. I mean, it has, it has its rewards, doesn't it? <laughs> no. But she did, and it was, it was kind of neat. But the point being, now, was that lady an angel? I, I mean, probably not. But I don't know that. I mean, I just, you don't know. You don't know when a stranger is God-sent not only for the other person, not only for you, maybe for other people watching, you don't know. But what, what is this, these first three verses, what is the calling? It's the calling to get outside of yourself. You guys, we live in a culture, in a society, in a world that is consumed with self-worship. And that's what happens when you expel God, all of a sudden there's no one else to worship but you. And it's what's best for me. What works for me? How can I? No. Jesus calls us to death of self. To let him live through us. To open our lives and say, you know what? I'm not going to neglect that need or that opportunity, but I'm going to step out of myself and see what God wants to do in this situation. The third example here of living in empathy is in verse 3. He says, remember, the prisoners 
as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Here, Paul calls on a familiar analogy, and he says, don't forget that you are part of a body. You do not go to church. You are the church. You are connected literally to each other. I twisted my ankle last week, and trust me, there wasn't a point that entire day where my mind forgot that my ankle hurt. I was out playing football with my son, and I got eaten by mosquitoes. And for the next night and day, there was no time in my, in my moment where my, where my mind forgot that my legs were itching. Yes, I agree. And here is the point. Paul says, you yourselves are in the body, so how is it that you can put out of sight, out of mind, when another part of the body, in a place that you can't see, just got thrown in prison, just got their property taken away, just got kicked out of their family and their community, just got ostracized because they took a stand for Jesus. Just because it doesn't happen to you? Does that mean that, that all of a sudden we can kind of just push them off to the side like that's not existing? No, they're part of us. And here is a, a, so challenging because Paul would say, don't relegate the persecuted church to a Sunday, one Sunday a year where you remember them, but find ways to think of yourself how can I put myself in the position that they might be in? Several years ago, a Pew Research poll indicated that 70% of the world's population lives in an intolerant environment towards Christianity. I mean, when I say intolerant, I don't mean American version, where you might get mocked at or jeered for your value system, or you might get unfairly treated at work or at school. I'm talking about the things I mentioned. There are people this Sunday, right now, in this time frame, in a different time zone, that are meeting, they've traveled before it was light to get to a secret location just so they could be with other Christians and maybe open a Bible, maybe not. They are afraid that when they leave, they might get arrested, they might come home to their house being ransacked. Someone might find out they're following Jesus. They live in this constantly. They don't get to wake up and, oh, do I feel like going to church today? Maybe I'll just watch it online. No. It's life and death. Paul knew firsthand what it was, what it was like to be chained up to a Roman guard for the testimony of Jesus. And back then, at a Roman prison, you starved to death you didn't have clothes to wear. You didn't have things you needed unless, what, someone brought it to you. And so Paul says, remember those who are suffering the loss of everything because of their faithfulness to Christ, as if you were chained next to them. What does that look like? Maybe it looks like putting together an Operation Christmas Child box. Maybe it looks like creating a, a specific prayer list for areas of the world or people that are persecuted. Maybe it's investing a little more financial sacrifice into a missionary that is reaching people in dangerous parts of the world. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that the Bible calls us, and I am deeply challenged by this, to make it more of a regular pattern in our lives to remember that not everyone has it as easy as we do. 
Not everyone is as comfortable right now worshiping Jesus and learning his word as we are. In fact, we are in the vast minority of people in that situation. And so he says, remember them, since you yourselves are also in the body. Well, the second way we continue in the better way, and we'll close on this point, but it's going to be a little bit involved, is to, number one, continue in empathy by loving each other, entertaining strangers, and remembering those who are persecuted. Secondly, we continue in sexual purity within the boundaries of our marital relationships. Look at verse four. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I'm going to tell you basically two applications that I believe this passage tells us about marriage and sexual purity. Number one is simply this. Paul here tells us that marriage can protect against sexual brokenness. Marriage can protect against sexual brokenness. Uh, Yes or no? Would anyone agree that we live in a sexually broken society and culture? Absolutely. You can't deny it unless you put blinders on, you stuck your head in the sand, and you pretended like nothing else existed. The first sin introduced sexual shame into the world, and things have just gone haywire ever since. And you would think that the statistics and logic alone would dictate people's approach to sexuality today. Still, it's evident that Satan's deceptive blinders have effectively covered the moral consciences of billions of people. Think about it just practically. The unprecedented amount of STDs that are diminishing people's lifestyles and even killing them. The epidemic of murderous abortions due to unwanted pregnancies because based on poor sexual decisions. The emotional trauma and scarring that millions carry into their marriages and relationships the divorces and broken families from adultery, pornography, sex trafficking of human beings and children, sexual abuse in the workplace and home. You would think that as a culture by now, we would have figured out we should probably teach our kids from an appropriate age that their sexuality is precious, that they should wait till someone they can live in a covenant lifelong relationship with before they give their sexuality away, and they should enjoy a budding, growing, intimate sexual relationship with their spouse and have children and raise their children in the Lord. You would think by now that that is what we'd be telling our kids. Instead, our culture is trying to justify their sexual freedom while minimizing the repercussions of such lifestyles. And then we scratch our heads as to why. What's happening? Do you recognize the hypocrisy of our culture? To wave the flags, Me Too movement, and to how can, how can, all, how can we stomach this, these sexual abuse cases in Hollywood and in the workplaces and all these sorts of things? Great says a people who protect abhorrent pornography as a First Amendment free speech right. Oh, well, there's no connection there. Are you kidding me? That is a connection. You introduce sexual perversion, you introduce sexual brokenness into people's lives, it has its effect, and then you wonder where it came from. I will tell you that Our world will do everything they can to protect their idol of sex and pleasure. Everything. I sadly ran across these 
articles. I'm sure some of you have seen them, but it is a proof of the sickness that our godless culture has and its intention to indoctrinate and philosophize our children to believe these things. The Texas High School shares post. I'll let you read that. I don't even want to say it out loud. But this, is, this was a post that the high school counselors page posted on their, their Instagram and social media accounts. Self-love reminders. And there's all sorts. I don't even want to read them to you. First of all, let's take the sex out of it. This is the ideology the world is pushing on your kids. That if you want mental health, physical health, emotional health, the best way to get it is self-love. Do what's best for you. Do what feels good for you. Test the borders and the boundaries to find out your niche and your identity and all of you, 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 you. No, I'll tell you what, young people, listen up if you're in this room. If you want to find fulfillment and purpose in life, if you don't want to be burned and hurt by the ills of society and godless culture, then you find yourself in Jesus and you give up yourself for him. You give up yourself for others and you will find true protection, true healing in this life. But no, here's what we're teaching our kids. If you're anxious, you don't need to deal with it with God. You don't need to deal with the sin inside of you. Just explore the sexual boundaries and find what works for you to relieve your stress. That's satanic. Because no sexual sin in the moment tells you how destructive it's going to leave you in the future. Listen, I'm saying this, I'm going to make this statement with 100% confidence. There will not be one human being who has indulged themselves in sexual immorality, who has embraced identity in their sexuality that is outside of God's design. There won't be a single one of them that will get to the end of their life and say, the pleasure was worth the price. The price is always greater. And like I said, it, it doesn't take someone intelligent to see historically the truth of that statement. But the world does not value intimacy and holiness. They value carnal pleasure above everything. The astronomical statistical increase in teenagers and children who now identify as bisexual, transgender, or any other number of thousands of different identities is not due to an actual biological issue. It has everything to do with radical indoctrination, social pressure, validation from authority, and it's perpetuated through social media and schools and political organizations and universities and sadly, even churches to normalize what God has said is a path of destruction for human beings. You guys, churches today, in the name of Jesus, are promoting drag shows rather than trumpeting the truth of God. The latest being the first Christian church in Katy, Texas, that's having an all-ages family-friendly drag show day hosted by the church. Listen, it's lies of Satan, and it's destroying people's lives. It's misrepresenting God. It's leading people down a path to hell. Of course I care about it. We should all care about it. We should also care about the reality that the true healing to sexual brokenness comes through knowing the healer. Thanks for joining us for Pastor Josh's study in the book of Hebrews. Throughout this book, we learn about idol worship, 
This is when you place a person, people, or things in place of God. Although idol worship was prevalent during the time Hebrews was written, it's still in our world today. From TV, to clothes, to food, to family, it's easy to put other things in place of God. We hope today's teaching has made you more aware of this and that you've been encouraged to seek God first. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Once you're there, click on the Media tab and follow the link to our YouTube page. You can also subscribe to our podcast and have the latest message from The Ascending Life as soon as it's available. Feel free to download these messages and take them with you on the go. If you're on social media, find links on our website to our social media pages. We'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or Twitter to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Calvary Chapel. Our website again is theascendinglife.com. If you're in or near the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Church for our weekly service. Find all the information you need at our website, theascendinglife.com. Well, that's it for now. But there's so much more to learn on the next edition of The Ascending Life. So be sure to tune in again. Sin